So if you were here last week, I interviewed my dad and we heard about what Jesus is doing in Ukraine, but also uh, how that relates to what Jesus is doing in your own life. Amen? Ooh. Apparently we didn't. Dad, we'll do a rerun next week. But I promise it happened. It was great. I encourage you to listen, listen to it back. And the thing is, when you have an awesome dad, that's amazing and you need to interview him. But when you also have an awesome mom, you got to interview her too. Amen. Come and give Linda a round of applause this morning. Hi, Mom. This is my beautiful mother. She's incredible. And uh, I wanted to have her come up this morning and share. Last week we talked about uh, stuff that was going on in Ukraine, but we said this is not just a conversation to try to get you to go to Ukraine or uh, make you give money to something or, or anything like that. The whole point of it was let's look for Jesus in these stories because sometimes it's easy to even get distracted by cool things and miss like, oh, wait, that wasn't just cool. That was God. Amen. God's on the move in your life. And so this morning, uh, at the top of your notes, I want you to write the title for the interview this morning, which is Inspired to Say Yes. Inspired to Say Yes. And we're going to dig into uh, some stories that uh, my mom's going to share with us for a little bit. And I'm not going to spoil them by telling you because she's better at it than me. Uh, but if you were here last week, we kind of had some slides with like takeaways at the end. That's totally how my dad works. That's not how my mom works. So we're just going to try to get her going, and she's just going to start talking, and you need to just start writing as she goes. So there's not going to be pauses probably. I'll try to maybe highlight some things, but it's just going to be good. Amen? So I uh, hope you're, you're inspired to say yes to Jesus this morning. So good morning, Mom. Good morning. Is that on? Is that working? Good morning. Ooh. She's here. She's here. All right, so we're going to talk about a whole lot of stories and everything. Are these chairs okay? I'm going to turn this this way. It's a fun noise. So obviously we're going to get into some stories and stuff, but we need to get some background first on why you're sitting up here. You like the picture? Yeah, I just noticed that cool picture. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Chad and Hannah Hockett, that's actually their oh, baby. No, I'm kidding. It's not. <laughs> Should have been. Oh, well. Smith or something. Yes. So uh, you have a ministry that you started a handful of years ago. It's, mm -hmm. You've been part of some crazy stuff God's done in this city. It's taking you all over the place. Uh, but just give us a little bit of background on what that is, what it's looked like, and all that fun stuff. Okay. So eight years ago, there was a breaking news story, and it said, Baby Doe wearing a diaper found in a dumpster. And it was in that moment that God just grabbed my heart. And I knew it was him because the opposite statement was seared deep in my spirit. And that was that dough is not a name and a diaper is not burial clothing and a dumpster is not a grave. Amen. And so I knew that that was God speaking to my heart. And I knew that that injustice was mine to take care of mm. because he gave me just a compelling yes to an action step. And that was really easy at the time because I didn't have to leave my chair that I was sitting in. I just needed to make a phone call. And I called the coroner's office and started asking questions, like what happens to a baby that has been left abandoned like this? And I started getting answers. And in those answers, I realized that there was a lot for me to do because the answers were as disturbing as the breaking news story. And so that really led me down the path um, of things I never dreamed that God was going to do in my life by giving me a lot more to do in serving in this city and it, it just grew in the last year, eight years, into providing headstones for families that are under-resourced, coming alongside families that have had tragic loss, um, providing resources for them, relationship to them, yeah. um, connecting them to where they could find any kind of healing or need through the funeral process or burial process. 
Um, and then also, um, I wrote a book in the last couple years and told the stories that God has been just laying on my heart to tell because they're all the testimonies yeah. of Jesus. And then also even um, telling these testimonies before the Senate and the House of Representatives to influence lawmaking about the safe haven law. So the gamut of things that God has taken, this ministry, which he birthed in my heart through that baby, um, he gave me the name, he knows your name for this ministry. And here we are eight years later, and I have headstones probably in about eight or nine states now. Um, I think about 109 of them. Um, I've adopted, I think, about 13 babies in death that were left unclaimed, and I have helped families bury about 25 of their loved ones, children and infants. Amazing. And you said you called, you ended up birthing a ministry, kind of an official 501c3. It just started as a phone call, but it turned into mm -hmm. something more official. And you called it, he knows your name. Right. Why did you name it that? Because that's what God gave me. Mm. I was sitting in my car, talking to the coroner one day, asking her about the baby. And the first baby story ended up taking 13 months. I called the coroner's office every Friday morning for 13 months and hounded them uh, to get information about this baby and track with the story. And um, one of those Friday mornings, she said, hey, I was just going to call you because I have something I want to ask you. We have another baby. And I was like, what do you mean another baby? You know, I thought I was going to do one thing. Mm. I thought this was an episodic kind of serving situation. Yeah. And it was, I said, you know, I need to call you back. And I just knew I needed to talk to God. And so in my car, I said, what are we doing? And he <laughs> said, we are doing something, and it's going to be called He Knows Your Name. Come on. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. And uh, you just made a, kind of a passing statement that you've adopted 13 babies in mm -hmm. death. Um, you like literally mean that, don't you? I literally you? Like, mean that. Because I don't know about you, but <laughs> I didn't know that was like a thing, you know? So like what, what, what exactly does that mean? Well, I didn't know I was doing it. You know, I didn't know it was a thing. Um, when I was given the okay by the uh, coroner's office to claim a baby, I started realizing that, you know, they are run by an elected official they are run by the laws of the land, and the transaction between a, a coroner's office and a funeral home requires transport, and that's legal. That's legal paperwork signed, and um, there's protocol with that. And then, uh, and so I'm signing this paperwork, you know, and it has my name on it and the baby's name on it, and then I go to the funeral home, and then it's time to take the baby from the funeral home to the cemetery, and I go to the cemetery and choose that plot of land, and I realize that my name is on the bottom of that piece of paper and I thought no one can legally do anything with that baby except me because I'm the one legally claiming and so I realized through the trace trail of paperwork and the legal process that's already in place I didn't have to develop a new law or find mm -hmm. a loophole or anything I didn't even have to hire an attorney I was just able to do what already was established to do wow amazing mm -hmm. amazing so that's how you kind of got started into doing all of this mm -hmm. and it's been eight years you've been doing all of these things and you've mentioned talking to the coroner the senate the house of or house of representatives mm -hmm. so many different people from so many different spheres and spectrums mm -hmm. and it just kind of started as a prompt from a newspaper article and it just turned into like i think that story is just so good you just kind of started signing one paper after another and all of a sudden kind of here you are and that that's just that's amazing now you've got a book and all of these sorts of things and a question that you've gotten a lot along the way is um you know, how did you get into this or, or what qualifies you to do this? What's your background? What makes you the perfect candidate for doing all of this He Knows Your Name stuff? So tell us what makes you the perfect candidate and what are all your qualifications for this? 
Absolutely none. <laughs> I'm not a funeral director, and I'm not certified in anything. And you I didn't get elected by everybody. No, I'm not elected by anybody. And I. But you're um, a great mom. I would I would elect you as mom. Thank you. Um, so you know, really, in a, I, I have no certification, no um, education or training to yeah. do whatever it is I do, and so. Um, that, that's the whole thing. You know, that all could disqualify me from doing everything that I do. And yet Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, qualified me. And he equipped me and prepared me in ways that I could never have imagined I was prepared for. And when I stepped into them, I knew that his authority was on me to do it because it was just everything was in place. And that's what God does. And so I, I was experiencing anointing to do something as a child of God for ch his children of God because mm. his father heart is all over everything yeah. that I do. And so his word was coming alive and coming off the page. Things I had studied for years and years and years, I was just walking in. And that became the experience. It wasn't past experience because I never had infant loss or pregnancy loss myself. So it wasn't even that I had myself experienced something yeah. that I was bringing to a personal situation. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So when you look back, you said you've been, you kind of studied things for years and years and all of that, but you don't have, you know, education background in right. this or anything, but there's also no specific, uh, like, spiritual background. You weren't, you know, studying for years to do all this. What, but you mentioned Jesus qualifies you right. for what he calls you to. So as you look mm -hmm. back, you know, like, when did you start following Jesus and how do you see that? Throughout the years, he was preparing you for something that you didn't know you were getting prepared for. Um, well, after marrying my high school sweetheart and um, being married a few years, we had our first child, and I was 26 years old, and we went to a church, and I heard the gospel in full. And I realized in that moment that the word of God was for me, and that I was his child, and I'd never heard that before. Wow. And that personal prayer and personal worship was for me. And so being raised in a mainline denominational church where the Bible was way, way, way up in front under glass, I never knew it could be opened. And so at 26 years old with a new baby in my arms, leaving the work world um, as a stay-at-home mom, I thought I need to start reading the Bible. And I was invited to a Bible study. And wow. so I jumped into Bible study. And so for 30 years, I've studied the Bible. And I thought at the time, at 26 years old, what a waste of my life that I didn't know anything about the Word of God. I didn't know how to apply prayer and personal worship to my life. And, um, and so I thought, that's all I'm going to do for the rest of my life because mm -hmm. I've got a lot of time to make up for. So wow. now, 30 years later, I look back and think, oh, God has been preparing me all these years just through walking in life. And so having a new baby in my arms, you know, she was growing up naturally. I was growing up spiritually because I was an infant in Christ when I was holding her. And so raising my children, I didn't realize was, was causing me to just be like raised along with them. Jesus was raising me and mm. I was raising them. And through life and life experience, um, God was qualifying me and teaching me more than I could have ever imagined. And so when I just answered you know, his call to, to figure out what was gonna happen with this baby, um, it seemed easy at the time because it was just the one thing. He didn't show me the la that he knew what was going to happen in the eight years ahead of this. Right. And so I was thankful for his grace in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So I think that that's worth pausing on and saying that for 30 years as a stay-at-home mom mm -hmm. who was just faithful to get up and spend time with Jesus, mm -hmm. read the Bible, try to do what it says, honor your family, honor people around you, learn how to worship and pray, he was preparing you for something incredible. Mm -hmm. And 
I just wonder if maybe that's applicable for any of us in the room, huh? You ever feel like you're just kind of doing nothing, you know? And maybe there's, you know, another stay-at-home mom or whatever. It's like, what am I doing? But it's not really about what you're doing. It's about what God's doing. And I think that what's so cool about your story is, you know, the, even the, the tagline of your book and kind of He Knows Your Name has been inspired to say yes. Mm -hmm. And what gets the interviews or the book or whatever is one day you saw a newspaper article and you said yes to what God was doing in your heart. But I think what get, get so easily overlooked is that you had been driving a rut in the yes road for 30 years, one day at a time, one argument at a time, one frustrating situation at a time, one character testing moment at a time just to say, okay, yes, God, yes, God. And so when the crazy one came, you were just kind of already in the rut. Right. And I think that's amazing. And I've, I've heard so many people who have gone through situations like infant loss, for example. I had a friend who lost a baby, and yeah. uh, it was like their seventh or eighth miscarriage. And I found them on the floor of our church back in College Station the day they found out in the dark sanctuary with music blaring, weeping his eyes out. And I just said, Josh, how do you get back here again? <laughs> how are you still back here? And he said, well, I just came here the last few times, and so I just ended up back here again. Yeah. And I just think that's so powerful. And um, you know, just wanted to highlight that to say, you know, your everyday yes mm -hmm. is what prepares you for the quote-unquote big yes. But when you say yes all along the way, then the huge one doesn't look so huge. Right. And he doesn't show you how huge it is anyways. Right. That's so true. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. good. So cool. So there's a little bit of background on what you've done the last few years and all of that. So this is where you get your thumbs ready if you got your phone out. What are some things you've learned along the way? about God, about Jesus, about people? What, what have you just seen God do through a yes? Well, I've learned that by studying his word, first of all, um, you know, it just, it takes root. It's alive and it's breathing. And so it's seeping into the fiber of who we are and it changes like our DNA spiritually. Yeah. And so when I started walking out this ministry he was giving me, I realized that his word was coming off the page, especially like I could say from the book of Isaiah, where it says over and over again, I've summoned you by name. Mm. I've called you my child. From you know, your inmost being, I knew who you were. And the whole father heart of God imagery was coming alive to me and in me. And I was realizing that you know, if I love my children, then I need to, in Christ, love all of his children. And if I'm going to save and protect mine, I need to save and protect all. Wow. And just, wow. so I just was realizing that, like, it wasn't just all now going down and mm. rooting in me. It was coming up and blooming in wow. me. And wow. that was changing everything. And wow. so I just want to encourage people to be about the word of God. Wow. You know, in a culture where it's being taken out everywhere, and prayers being taken out, you know, don't take it out of your own personal time. The Come intimacy on. with Jesus is birthing something in you, and you may not so know good. it or understand it now, but it is doing that. Come and on. I don't just see it in me. I see it in a lot of people. Um, so I've learned the Father heart of God. I've learned that suffering, although I don't pray for suffering, suffering is something God uses to bring us closer to him. Mm -hmm. And there's a chalice of grace that is the sweetest in the suffering. And when we drink from that in times of tragic loss, um, or even standing with someone who has had tragic loss, 
you know, I experienced the sweetness of Jesus like never before, and now I crave it, mm. and it doesn't make sense, and that God's economy is upside down, and what looks like something here through our eyes, through the earth, you know, God says, no, look, <clears throat> look again, look with spiritual eyes wow. at what I'm doing, and, and so when you, I stand with strangers at the grave, and we do church without walls there. There's something really organic that happens, you know, in loving our neighbor as ourselves in a place where we're so raw. You know, beautiful things can happen. All the barriers come down. And so through suffering, I've learned a lot about God's heart. And, you know, miracles happen at the grave. And, you know, it's obvious that with Easter weekend, God performed his greatest miracle there. So when I stand there, I go with great expectation mm. that he's going to continue to do that and reveal himself in miraculous ways. So good. So you walk into hard situations expecting God to do something. I do. I walk in with the hope Maybe of Jesus. Maybe we could all do that, amen? And I just, <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen yeah. people come alive at the grave in mm. the darkest of times and I I literally see that darkness is light to him mm. and I could not have understood that any other way yeah yeah you were talking to me about uh time talent and treasure how mm -hmm. we see those of things of value and of, mm -hmm. the, of ways to communicate value to people Good. tell us yeah. just kind of explain that what I mean by that right and well definitely in, in eight years I would say God has completely revamped the way I look at time talent and treasure um, as resources. So as an affluent person living in this country in the Western world, um, you know, we really have, I think we value our resources a lot, especially financial. And I've come to learn in eight years that, you know, Jesus didn't have that one. Mm. Yeah. He never brought that one resource to any of the people he was mm. helping. He brought mm. himself mm. and he brought time. Mm. And so I've learned that my biggest most valuable treasure is time. And so when I bring that in myself as the temple of the Holy Spirit, I'm bringing Jesus. And so I expect that when I walk into a cemetery office or I'm standing at a grave or I'm standing in someone's home where they've just been told their daughter, you know, was killed in a bus accident, or I'm standing at the coroner's office with Addie Bray and her family. I love you, Addie. Um, you know, I expect that when I walk in that conference room and I'm with your whole family, that the atmosphere of that room is going to change when I walk in. Yeah, amen. Because the light of Jesus is on me. On. The word of God is in me. Mm -hmm. It's not me. It's him in me. Mm -hmm. And I walk in. That's what gives me authority. Mm -hmm. That's what gives me the anointing. And I see the climate change in the room. And so walking in with that expectation is walking in with the biggest gift. And that's hope. Yeah. And that's the only thing they need. They don't, I can't change their circumstances. Mm. I don't walk in ever thinking I'm going to change their circumstances. I can't. Mm. So I do believe that time in, in giving it myself, standing with people, um, is the greatest gift we have. And realizing that we need to rethink the way we look at things in our culture about that value because my values have completely changed. Wow. I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit here, okay. but help, help us apply that you know, to our everyday life, putting, seeing our time as a valuable resource. I think, though, I guess, we all see time as a valuable resource, but 
Uh, I think no, I don't know that any of us would say that our time isn't valuable or whatever. That's why it's kind of hard to spend time doing things because we only have so much time and we have a lot of other things to do. But how, how do we put into practice just giving time to people? What, what are maybe some things you've learned? Because I think you're so good at this and you've learned it over the years. It's just when you walk into a room, no matter how much time you're able to give somebody, it's always like meaningful time, yeah. you know, whether it's eye contact. I mean, some of you have experienced that. Just you're in a room with her and just, just eye contact. It's meaningful. It's a moment, but it's a meaningful one. What are maybe some things that you've learned about how to see people well and how to spend time well with people? I think we have to believe it first. I think if, we, if our value really is that we think giving ourselves is the greatest thing, then we will want to give it away. Mm. And wow. I'm not saying writing checks and sending money other places isn't good, but I think if you can go, it's better. Mm. Nothing says, I see you, like standing with them mm. and being with them. And we have to, I think, challenge ourselves to what do we really believe about that? Mm. And we have to stop being so afraid of pain wow. and we have to stop texting so much we need face-to-face -face, we need voice-to-voice -voice, <laughs> and we need to just go and be with people mm. you know I think that we have to like wait stop waiting for them to initiate and mm. we have to just invite ourselves in and it's interesting to me that in eight years with all the under-resourced people I've served no one's asked for me for money they mm. want my friendship. Wow. And so standing with them in those hard places takes courage on my part. And so I say, I want to say to you guys, like, you know, just get over yourselves and stop being so afraid that you're going to say the wrong thing or, mm. um, or what is the right thing. Um, the right thing is giving you. Mm. The right thing is praying with people. Mm. And the right thing is just loving them well. Mm. It's sacrificial. And so I know, I do get it that we all value our time. Every, our lives are evidence of that. Mm -hmm. um, but we need to also create margin and space. And I could busy myself with a thousand things and I have to choose not to. Mm -hmm. I have to make space in my calendar and keep room and breathing room for the what, what, if, what if this happens, what if that call wow. comes. And um, I mean, my, my life is full but I, I don't want it to be busy. Yeah. And people say to me, oh, you're so busy. And I want to say, no, 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 I'm not busy. My life is full, yeah. but I have room for you. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's really making room in the inn, in the Bethlehem of our hearts, mm. that is going to really change the world. That's good. That's really good. I want to just encourage everybody to make a note of that and think about that one a little bit later today. And just, just take it this week and think about what, how, can I, how can I say yes to that challenge this week to just see somebody, you know, learn, learn a cashier's name, something, something that just takes a second to slow down and, and start realizing maybe this, it'll always cost something, but maybe it's better than I think to actually give a little moment here and there, give a little smile here and there, not be so rushed. And I love that language. I think that's powerful. And, and I've tried to use that language in my own life and seen the value that it puts on somebody uh, to tell them if, if they're trying to, if they need something or whatever, say, oh, you're busy, saying, I'm not, I'm not too busy. I'm definitely full, yeah. definitely, <laughs> but not too busy. Even that little comment I've just seen put so much value on people. So just get with God this week and figure out what, what even, that's changing one word and it puts value on people. But how can we be a people that put value on the people that we're running into in our lives, right?
That's I awesome. think, and also realizing that um, it, it, it is, relationship is a give and take. And when we give relationship, we're giving the heart of God because he is all about relationship. That's his focus with us. <clears throat> and when we focus on relationship, um, people know it. They see the difference and it's sincere. And I, I realize that when I, when I stand with people and I just talk to them and I just listen to them, then I know where God is directing me to pour into them. I don't often go in any situation and know what the heck I'm doing. Yeah. Oftentimes I walk in and realize I don't know the need. Mm. I mean, maybe there's a tragic loss, but I, I don't think it's my job to t take care of every abandoned baby in this country. I don't think it's my job to, to take care of every family that's had tragic loss that's under-resourced. I just have to find the one thing that has my name on it. Mm. You know, so when I hear about the need, I, I just pray, like, mm. okay, God, what and where and how? Because mm. um, I don't know if it's maybe that situation, it's, it's some money and lots of time or some of this, or I'm going to bring my partners. Now I've got a whole group of partners mm. that I serve with and bring them alongside. What are we all going to do together? Because collaborating multiplies the kingdom of God, yeah. and I love that. Um, so sometimes it's just listening to say, maybe it's not my thing, maybe it's someone else's thing, and let me connect someone else to this mm. so that we can get it done and do more. So good. So good. I think you're also so good at that, finding something you can do even when you can't do everything. And I don't know about you guys, but I can get so immobilized when I see a problem and think, well, I can't fix that. Like, and mm. my inability to do everything makes me do nothing. Right. And we got we to gotta still enter into it right. and be okay with maybe the little that we can bring. Absolutely, and, and I think powerful. that kind of goes back to the news story thing. Like, we are so bombarded with the 24-hour news cycle, and we hear so much news that we just get numb, and we mm. don't know what to do, so we do nothing. And my challenge would be, when you listen to the news or you hear someone talking about what's going on in this city, you know, just, like, wonder about the one thing. You know, what one thing did you hear today or on the news or in that hour that made your heart race? And just ask God, like, does that have my name on it? Is there something I'm supposed to do about that one thing? Mm. You know, I, and I'm not a, really a news watcher. I don't, I, I wait for other people to bring me news stories <laughs> or tag me in something and say, hey, Linda, you know, something. But I'm not hunting the globe looking for every situation to take care of. Um, I'm a limited human being, and I could never have the capacity to do everything. But I know mm. there's something for me. Yeah. And so I would just say to you, what's your something? You so know, and I, it's never been my goal to ask everyone I talk to to franchise He Knows Your Name all over this country yeah. or in every city. Um, I just say that, you know, God will rise up people to do what they are called to do in their cities. What are you rising up to do in yours? Mm -hmm. And what has your name on it? And what is he saying to you is your something? Yeah, that's so good. Kind mm -hmm. of off of that, one thing that we also talked about is obviously in spending a lot of time next to graves and around death and celebrating life and all of these sorts of things. Um, you talked about how walls come down and you can talk about things that you can't talk about or don't normally, aren't normally able to talk about in other venues. Um, but one of the products of being next to a grave is looking back on somebody's life and not only the life of the person who's being buried but there's this thing about that that makes everybody around start thinking about their own life and you were using the word legacy a lot as we were talking and what you've learned about um just the the you know the moments you've had the curiosities you've had when you have had your own thoughts of i wonder you know you look around a graveside and see who showed up and you wonder i wonder who's going to show up next to mine or you're saying things about this person or this baby or this situation, and you're wondering, I wonder what's going to be said about me. Yeah. And I, 
if you've ever been to a funeral, I don't know that you can help but ask those types of questions. And they're uncomfortable and uncommon, but they're necessary and they're, and they're good questions to ask. And as we were talking, you were just mentioning just how powerful it is to uh, take your legacy and in, in some words, to take your legacy in your own hands right. um, and write your own story. And right. would you just maybe take just a couple minutes and yeah. share just a little in, yeah. you know, thought on that? Well, I think the, you know, the grave is a really interesting place to stand because it forces us to look at our own mortality. And a lot of us stay busy so that we don't have to do that. Mm. And we don't like funerals um, for that reason. But you know, if you really want to think about the quality of your life and the quality of life of, of those around you and you stop and really reflect, there's no greater place to do it than at the grave. You stand there and reflect and smell the fresh turned dirt and think, when I put that little baby casket down in the grave and hand it to the grave digger and I see that little bread box size casket down there and everyone's looking in, I can only wonder what they're thinking. And sometimes people say, why do you do this for a dead baby? And I said, oh, don't kid yourself, I'm doing it for you. <laughs> Come on. You're standing here thinking about things you would not otherwise think about. Mm. And I'm sure you're wondering, as I talk about this baby and name this baby and give purpose to this life, and give meaning to this life because of a name, makes you wonder about your name, where you're from, and how you got here. And what's going to be said about you, and who's going to come, and who's going to gather, and what songs will they sing, and how are they going to eulogize you? Makes me wonder you know, about the people that say, well, who's going to write my obituary? And I'm like, you are. Mm -hmm. You're writing it right now. Every day you're writing your story. Legacy is on you. Your inheritance is being birthed every day. And so take heart and be courageous mm -hmm. and live for that mm -hmm. and do something about it. Claim who you want at your grave and what they're going to say about you mm. by doing something about it today. And so the metaphor of these babies and the purpose on their life is to get in your face a little bit, in my face, mm. and say, you know, how you live in your life now. And that's super exciting to me. So <laughs> challenging legacy um, and also, you know, people that I meet that maybe I don't help, help them in the burial process or funeral process, but... They are, these moms that have had tragic loss, their hearts are still throbbing as moms to be a mom. But now they're carrying legacy and they're birthing life in legacy. Yeah. And you know, that is a really beautiful thing to come alongside people and continue to celebrate life year after year by promoting um, something that has happened in that child's life that is gonna change the world and bring purpose. Mm. And that is something that causes all these moms to say, I can now get up in the morning and I can maybe stop crying today because mm -hmm. I've got other kids to raise and I've got a child now that's in heaven, but I'm gonna celebrate their life here. And so they are changing the world and making my life sure a lot better because we get yeah. to celebrate their lives. Yeah, it's awesome. It's challenging, but it's good. To wrap up, you were telling me a story the other day um, about standing by a graveside with a mom who had a five-month-old die and a conversation you were able to have with her mm -hmm. and then a conversation with a guy that you called who I guess you yeah. call frequently and mm -hmm. who has been involved and kind of follows yeah. follows you and all the stuff that you're doing. And there's some, um, I think there's some incredible 
things for us to wrap up and take away. So would you just kind of tell us, let us into that story. Uh, it'll kind of give you a picture of, give every, all of us a picture of what the journey can mm -hmm. sometimes look like, yeah. uh, but also some great things we can take away. Well, the wonderful thing about this mom, her name is Latrice. She actually is kind of, I call her like a third generation already, he knows your name person, because she's come to me through so many people now, and the ripple effect um, is now affecting um, just more and more story. And I got a call from someone who said, this mom needs some help, and so I connected with her, and her five-month-old baby died at a daycare center here in Indianapolis. And the criminal investigation was stopped because they said they didn't have enough evidence. And her heart was just screaming, like, my baby's not enough evidence. So the injustice for her is that she will not have all the answers she would like to have about what happened in that suspicious unlicensed daycare that day and why her baby was moved from one place to another. And so as an under-resourced person, she has no opportunity to get the legal care to take care of answering her questions and moving along with this. And as the daycare center now continues in business, she was with a you know, baby that was buried and had no headstone. And so someone got hold of me and asked me to help her. So I met with her and helped her, and we designed a headstone together. And then it was placed a couple weeks ago. And I stood with her and her two young children, and I heard her mother's heart just crying out for the injustice of this situation. So as we celebrated her son's life, and I wept with her and listened to her. Her kids were getting antsy and ran back to my car, and we got them some snacks out of my back seat. And I said, oh, by the way, why did you bury your baby here? Why'd you choose this cemetery? And she said, because my mom's buried here. And I said, oh my gosh, let's go put some flowers by your mom. And I, I noticed a familiar wandering that happens in the grass. I watched someone walking, and I thought, oh my goodness, she doesn't know where she is. And she doesn't know where she is because she doesn't have a headstone. And so she's wandering and then kind of comes across something and thinks maybe this is the spot. And so we set flowers down in the grass and pray for her family. And I start asking her a story, you know, tell me a story about your family, and she does. And I realize that she's got eight brothers and sisters, and they have children, and they have children. And she said, I buried my son here because this is where my mom is, and it's the next section over, and so they're kind of right next to each other. But when we came here for my son, you know, we all stood and kind of tried to find where my mom was too. And I said, I'm going to get you a headstone for your mom so that you don't ever have to wonder that again, and you never have to wander again, mm -hmm. and that you can know that she's here and he's here. And when you come with your family, you can all gather together and know where they are and celebrate their life together. And she just started to weep. And I said, you know, I can't answer any of your questions. And I can't do anything about the, your legal problems. And I can't ever make right the injustice that's been done against you. But I can offer you hope in Jesus today and say that the Father heart of God is smiling on you right now. He is looking at you and saying, I'm going to give you something that you didn't even ask for because your son was here, that I'm going to birth something beautiful and give you a gift through your son's death that otherwise would not have happened because I wouldn't have met her otherwise. Mm. And I said, can you receive the blessing from Jesus today? Yeah. 
I said, I don't know where you're at with your faith. And she says, well, I've almost lost it. And I said, I'm sure. When people lose a loved one, oftentimes they lose their faith too. And I said, please don't lose your faith. I want you to receive the gift that God has for you today in a, in a headstone for your mother because of your son. That's what I can offer you today. That kind of love and that kind of friendship through the gift of resourcing something that one of my partners can help me do. And then we'll come back here and we'll celebrate this. And she said, oh, and everyone will come. <laughs> and I said, all eight siblings and their children and wow. their children. And all of a sudden I thought, okay, how many people is that going to be? Yeah. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to share the gospel with all of them when yeah. we come to this grave. How else would I have gotten the opportunity yeah. to meet these people? Amen. I wouldn't have. And I cannot wait for that day. Wow. I will run to that cemetery <laughs> on yeah. that day and celebrate the gift of that headstone, which is just merely an opportunity yeah. to then meet more people and share the love of Jesus Christ with them. And my friend, David Crane, who's sitting back there today, who I've shared so many stories with and said, you know, Jesus never lets me get off the grass before he tells me what to do next. And, and David's thing with me is like, what are you doing next? And this was my next story, mm. you know? And David, I thought of you. I thought, you know, I'm not even off this grass, and there's another yes for me. Yeah. And I long for those yeses. They're familiar, and they're the sweetest place for me to be with Jesus. And I love that David and Kathy Crane, who had such tragic loss in their own life, have risen above that and are living from just the memory of their loved ones in such a beautiful way. And that you guys have taught me a lot. And I've loved walking alongside people. My He Knows Your Name family is growing and growing. And I know people I would never have known otherwise. And my life is so rich because of those friendships. And I'm so thankful that God has brought us together and made us family. So good. So cool. I, that was one of the last things you shared with me the other day. And it just has stuck with me so strong. And I hope that this is the thing that we can all leave with. Is uh, not just stories about, you know, what my mom did and what she's done and that is all amazing and all of those sorts of things but can we leave inspired to say yes it's the next thing that God's put in that God puts in front of us but again I think sometimes it's easy to just stop there and say I'm going to do the next thing and what I think that you've shared with us what I hope we can all walk away with this morning is that um, whenever you say yes like your yes births the next yes mm -hmm. and it's just gonna it's one at a time and I wonder what would happen if we as the people of God just decided that we're going to live our lives looking for the next yes mm -hmm. with, some, with an expectation and excitement that says, I'm going to run to the grave that day because there's going to be a next thing. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a next thing. And I know that it's easy to see an interview happen on a stage and all of these sorts of things. Like, that's great for her. But you can say yes. Mm -hmm. You can say yes. And whether it ever looks like anything that she's doing or not, that doesn't matter. What matters is that we say yes and we we'll be a people that live expecting that the next yes is coming. Amen? Mm -hmm. Can we do that? Awesome. Well, we're going to sing one more song together as we wrap up this morning. We've got a few more minutes left. I want you to go ahead and stand up as we close our time together. And just like we've been saying, I'm, I'm, I, I pray that today you don't just walk away inspired by some stories, but you walk away inspired to say yes.
It can be so easy to read the Bible or to hear these stories or to look around in the shaking world that we talked about earlier and think, I don't know what in the world I can do about that. I don't know what I can do about this or that that I'm seeing on the news or this or that that I heard in my friend's life or anything. But I just want to encourage us and challenge us to be a people that look with eyes expecting that there's something and not get distracted by the fact that we can't do everything, but can we just be a people that look for the something we can do? What if that's the life that God has called you to? What if he's called you to a life not that knows all the answers, not that knows everything, not that can do everything perfect all the time, not that's the, the best speaker or the best this or the best that of all the people that you look around and see, those are the people who can really do something. But what if God looks at you and says, you can do something, he can do something, she can do something, and all it takes is yes. All it takes is yes. So I'm gonna pray for us right now. And as we sing this song, it's called Yes, Lord. It's a song about saying yes. And we always say we wanna be people that respond to the word of God, not just hear it. And the way I want us to respond is by singing this song, but I want you, uh, you may not even know how to do this or what this means, but we're just gonna ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts right now and, and this week and, and ask God this week as I go, would you just, would you help me listen? Help me hear your voice. You may be sitting here being like, what? Hearing God's voice? Just Let's just walk out believing He just might speak this week. And would He make us a people that say yes? So maybe our response isn't totally in this moment. Maybe it's Wednesday at 1 o'clock when you walk by the coworker and you have that sense. Like, maybe they could use a hi or a how you doing and I could give them a few minutes. You know what I'm saying? Maybe there's a response this week. Maybe there's a response in your life. So I'm going to pray for us. And I just encourage you to worship. And would you sing this song and open up your heart and allow God in in our final few minutes together. Jesus, we love you so much. And I thank you for your love. I thank you that you see every single one of the people in this room. And you see the life and the situation that they're in. And you look at them with hope and with expectation. And you say, you can do something. You can. You can do something. Just say yes. God, I pray that we would leave inspired this morning to say yes to you and that we would walk into every situation with eyes to see people, with eyes to see you. Would you tune our ears to hear your voice? Give us a hopeful expectation, God. In a world that's so ready and so used to just hearing everything that's bad and falling apart, would you give us a hopeful expectation that God is on the move and I can say yes. Would you teach us to say yes in these moments in Jesus' name?